This is Potomac Quest, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Potomac Quest is an hour-long talk show about everything in and relating to technology. Starring three Brooklyn technophiles, Eric Newman, hi, Tyler Dinner, hey, and David Shreve, hello. Well, this week's episode, Darkness. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Polar Quest. My name is Eric Newman, and to my left, as usual, Chris Grabowski is out, as usual. But at least you're here, Tyler. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I really appreciate it today. And uh, to Tyler's left is a new addition, friend of me personally, friend of the show, friend of the station, friend of Bushwick, David Shreve. Hello. Hello. That is a killer opening. Thank, Thank you. you. How are you? I am good. How are you? I am. I am quite well. Uh, David lives across the street, literally, from the station, and he just drops in from time to time, and he's a mall rat. It's a, yeah, I'll take that. Thanks. No, actually, David's here, as I continue to pot down the theme music, trying to have a better transition and as we start the show with a, an increasingly varying series of impediments. Um, <laughs> what, what should... Uh, David, how do, we, how do we best explain you? I've known you for 11 years. I think since God, has it been that long? You were you were my best friend's college roommate. <laughs> yeah. All the way back to uh, FAU in South Florida. Find another university. Oh my God! And and your your university copied a lot off of my university. I think directly modeled. Direct, which we copied off of the University of Florida. I went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando. We copied off of the University of Florida in Gainesville. So there's this kind of centipeding of college culture that just kind of slides down the peninsula. From Gainesville, just down to Orlando, and then God, that, that's down really to Boca. Telling when you have Florida schools imitating other Florida schools. It is. It's like no it's wonder. like it's like multiplicity. How every copy gets a little worse. <laughs> oh no! Just look at football. <laughs> football is the best example of that. Uh, I think though, did you guys actually? Do you do you care? Did you ever care about oh, football? The fouls. The the owls. The FAU owls. Oh, the fouls. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they were called. Uh, I, I, my roommate at, at, when I lived on campus before I met your best friend, um, was the backup quarterback for the Owl football team. So ah. I, I was, I, I heard of some things that we won. You heard of some things that you won. Yeah. I Did, think something about an orange bowl. That's college, right? Oh, Sounds is it like college. the orange bowl? I think I went to one Yeah, when I was a kid. I don't know. I'm not a, we're not sports people. in college. Okay, yeah. yeah let's anyway, get back to technology. anyway, back to technology as this is a tech show. <laughs> and listen, it's okay. It's okay that we deviate a little bit for this one reason. There's a very popular motoring program that does very much the <laughs> same thing. Also with three people and one of them causes a lot of trouble. What am I talking about? Top Gear. Uh, yes. What is it called now? Uh, the Grand Tour. Ah. Yes. On tonight's show. No. Um, tonight's episode, today's episode is called Darkness. Because we're going to talk about our new president in the dark web. No, actually, much less about politics this week. But we are going to talk about the dark web and, and, and nefarious activities online. It comes with this one proviso um, that we do not advocate any sort of illegal acquisition of intellectual property. We do not advocate any sort of illegal web searching and the, despite there's freedom of speech there are of course things that you can't there are limitations there's the internet equivalent of the fire in the in the crowded movie theater uh there's of course uh things that many people in washington are into and then make laws against like child pornography and um <coughs> various other things that shouldn't do anyway um we're not going to talk about anything too egregious but we are going to talk about ways of accessing the dark web and ways of of uh, doing the nefarious activities online, and also none of us 
right now are illegally doing acquiring surfing things. These are all things that are past whatever statute of limitations allows us to talk about this on the radio without getting arrested. This discussion implies no action on any parties partaking in this radio show. Exactly. Our legal expert, Tyler. Exactly. Thank you, Tyler. And Tyler is not a lawyer. He's a paid spokesperson, so thank you. Um, We've all been lawyered anyway. There we go. Okay, so to start off today's show, before we actually get into the real topic, I want to talk about the fact that we're a podcast. We are finally... On iTunes, if you search for Pull Request, and if you want to, there is unfortunately still a delay. There's a five-day delay, so you hear me talking about us being a podcast today, plus five is Thursday. So, hello everybody on Thursday. Hope you're having a good Thursday. Do we want to have predictions? I think that maybe we should get into that. Can we predict what the news will be in five days in technology? Uh... There's no Apple Keynote coming up. There's no major conference. There's no, I don't know. Is there any? Maybe there'll be a registry for anyone who downloads Tor. Oh, you know, I mean, the, he's the our new guy is already coming and swinging, and with his executive orders. Let's talk about. Uh, oh, he has a new FCC uh, pick, FCC chairman pick, Azlit Pai, who has made no. Uh, he's got much like Donald has got right to the executive order. He has not waited to start making rules that will impact our internet traffic. Let's hear it. From our news department. Mel Marion presents News to Use. Washington, Friday, January 27th. While new President Donald J. Trump has spent his first week in office setting up barriers for human travel, it appears his FCC pick is Leap High will be doing the same for data packets on the internet. This week, new FCC Chairman Pi circulated a plan to close the door on some net neutrality transparency requirements. Regulations that require disclosure of service fees, fees and data caps from large internet service providers or ISPs to the federal government. Previously, a waiver existed for ISPs with fewer than 100,000 subscribers. The limit will now be increased to 250,000. In a spate of Orwellian logic, he believes the current regulations are onerous and hurt small businesses, despite the obvious value they provide to consumers. Speaking nothing about future data retention requirements and increased customer surveillance and their effect on ISP's bottom lines. The many Americans are afraid of what happens next. We at least know the world still turns and the truth marches on. This has been News to Use. Brought to you by Pneumonium. Thanks, Eric. So, that is a, uh, a big deal. That's a controversial... Well, we want to make engaging content, so I think this is a great way to have engagement is to... No, it's not. Um, (laughs) No, the thing is, is that net neutrality is important because it actually has a double meaning. It has a a consumerist meaning, meaning that all of us really want, which is that we don't want any sort of discrimination of traffic on the internet, much like we don't like any sort of discrimination of people in real life. Uh, But there's also... Uh, The second meaning that you could actually use the same term net neutrality for, uh, much like the term neoliberalism actually means like liberating money, not like liberating people. So net neutrality kind of means that the government shouldn't impose any sort of restrictions and the government should remain neutral on technology, which is a problem when you have to have some regulations to ensure a free market. 
It's so ironic because so many people in Congress who decry free market and say, you know, this is, if it fails, it fails. That's capital, capitalism. And then they make these rules to rig the system. If they really cared about capitalism, then they would actually have a more of a free market and they only have enough government regulations to ensure equality. Um, do we want to talk about, I guess, do, do either of you have anything to say about net neutrality? I, I'm Generally? Very, I'm very afraid of if net neutrality goes away, that we will see the internet much like we see tele cable television. That's, and You'll see your basic channels, and then to get more websites and smaller local websites, you have to pay more money, and you have to pay more money, then you won't be able to just get all the websites, period, which is just horrifying because that's exactly what the internet took away. David? Yeah, I mean, that that's totally agree. That's a huge real fear. Okay. Um, it I is. I mean, because, and, and again, we need, government regulations are, what did I say? They're a lot like something. I can't remember what that was. Ad blockers. There we go. Ad blockers and government regulations have a lot in common. Because there's a, th a lot of people don't like ad blockers. A lot of content providers don't like ad blockers. They say, oh, ads are our revenue. If you impede, that's taking away our livelihood. Okay, but then if you look at a site that survives and display ads without an ad blocker, it's horrid, it's hideous, it's grotesque, it's egregious. They have overstepped what I would call a reasonable limit of advertising as to not impede a user experience. Much the same with government regulations. Some of them, people say, government regulations impede business. That's our bottom line. I can only make $100 million this year instead of $300 million this year. Okay, so then they take the regulations away that prevent uh, people from polluting lakes and rivers and oceans, uh, and then your bottom line goes down and you can make a ton more money. <clears throat> That's an egregious overstep of what I would call your reasonable, uh, ethical kind of... I don't know, practice as a corporation who's trying to make money. So gov some government regulations, like the eight-hour workday or um, banking regulations that prevent people from getting screwed out of their homes and then having those bad mortgages kind of combined. Anyway, getting away from technology. Some government regulations are good. Others may impede business. Some, ad block some advertising is good, is necessary to ensure that the Internet has an economy and to ensure that these companies do have money, but then they also shouldn't be taking literally every different type of step that they could to shave a couple more pennies off of the user experience or into their into their pockets what do you guys think yeah i totally agree um what would be the solution like some sort of best practice i mean you know it's odd because i was i i really got into the uh, i drank the kool-aid that our last president was america's first cyber president <laughs> and that no matter who won this election we'd be taking a step backwards and i really don't like that because it's 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 an increasing responsibility of politicians this century to kind of know about technology because when you don't know about technology you're much more susceptible to people telling you have truths or biased things that will spin your opinion on things like it should encryption be legal that's the number one thing that I, I'm waiting I'm waiting for that shoe to drop out of this administration is waiting for some kind of, and I'll tell you why, it's not just because of the guy up top, it's because uh, the FBI has been on an anti-encryption tirade for 20 years. There are, there, anytime you hear about defense and they talk about cyber activity and cyber war, we did two episodes on cyber activity earlier about Russia, um, it, you know, encryption kind of obfuscates their ability to see who's doing what and who's talking to whom. Right. 
but so they'll they'll say like oh isis and china and, and putin and that that's why we we need to look at your traffic and much like in uh the beautiful um newsreel that we made uh the fcc chairman says that the restrictions the government regulations saying that companies need to provide literature to their consumers and the government about the specifics of the products that they provide like I get 100 megabits down from Cablevision. Well, what's going to happen? Maybe they'll add one little proviso saying we can just say F you anytime you want and we'll take your internet away. You still have to pay us the same amount of money. They could add that one line and then say terms and conditions may change at any time. And then uh, they don't have to share that with anybody. That, that, that He wants to take that regulation away, uh, but then regulations that would require data retention, and which would be obviously a much bigger impediment to profiting for, for smaller ISPs, as they always say, it hurts the little guy. Uh, sorry saying saying we have four tiered plans saying we have you know maybe maybe 15 different product SKUs across the whole spectrum of services that we offer from consumers to the enterprise to the to the data center it's i don't know that like the amount of equipment and cost that data retention and that type of reporting would impose on a company is much more than this regulation that he's repealing and i think that's a, that's that's really something to look at uh even though we don't want to Jump too far. I did it, didn't I? I jumped too far into politics. Like 10 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> I've only I've been, been on quiet. the air for nine minutes. So. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've got a bucket of gasoline for your fire, but I'm not dumping any of it on it. Hey, you can't make. You're already you can't. You can't. You can't make gas jokes to Jews. I, Tyler. It's uh, no gas in liquid form uh, is fine. Start tap that dancing. Gas, start tap dancing. No, gas. Microaggression. Eric, I think we're already at the that point. That was where we gasoline. Okay, okay we're getting off form. track. We're getting off track. Okay. So, um,. <laughs> What do you guys, I mean, do you guys agree with me that this, this type of regulation that, uh, that FCC Chairman Pai is repealing, again, talking about that, they, that ISPs have to give the government some kind of literature on the services, the full extent of services that they provide, as long as you're, uh, you have more than 100,000 subscribers, he's going to increase that to 250,000, and then uh, just loosen it up for uh, bigger, I mean, that, that can't be good doesn't sound good it doesn't sound good i mean you it's confusing uh, it sounds like you don't have to report shit unless you have two hundred fifty thousand subscribers now which means that you can have more micro more, more sites running 150,000 subscribers doing nefarious things that they don't have to report to sounds oh that's shady. a good point so here's the question that's if you have the loophole i see exploited let's say you have um company a how's the bad guy profit uh, wait oh I'll, I'll, um, let's work this out let's say you have company a that has a hundred thousand subscribers and then you have company B that has 100,000 subscribers. And then A and B are actually owned by the same parent company. Oh, vertical integration. Do these restrictions still apply? Find out next week. I don't know. I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious. Like, can, is that the way out of this? Just like NPR found their way into saying that they don't have advertising revenue because you, you pay the ad revenue to national public media and they donate it to national public radio. Is that like that kind of capitalist tap dancing or is that what we can do to get around this? Anybody? I, I I don't know. I'd say the answer probably lies in, um, I mean, if this is something that that the uh, man in order, man in power wants done uh, himself, then it's probably got something to do with his companies. Judged by the way that the immigration tactic was, uh, we can't put out really delve too much into that. Well, except except for the fact that if he's cherry picking for his companies, then we can look at his companies and find out which ones have 100 to 150,000 subscribers that would like to not report <laughs> anything. It's the best, it's the fastest <laughs> internet traffic ever. 
It's the I have great respect for the internet, <laughs> and I have great respect for the FCC. That's why. Wow, okay. Uh, speaking of uh, China, yeah, exactly. Um, by the way, David, I really appreciate the actual activism that you did yesterday. I know that while we're too far deep into politics, I, you are a patriot and a scholar, and I I appreciate it. As as someone who was complaining about people getting triggered online yesterday, you actually made a difference in the world, and I salute you. It seems there's a lot of power in standing around. Yeah. Anyway. Um, back to net neutrality. Um, he said, uh, "Can I bring up a simple, all of that interesting case that happened?" Yes, this week? please. Uh, I don't know if you heard about Backpage. No, I didn't. What's so that? Back- I mean, I know what Backpage is, but sorry, <laughs> I'll just describe it very briefly. Backpage is basically a, rep- uh, a I mean, another sort of classified website, uh, and they have quite openly had pages for escorts to advertise their services. Uh-huh. Uh, they themselves went dark on their escort page due to California lawsuit threatening them. Um, Saying what? Well, it, it got shot down once in the Supreme Court, I think like two years ago, uh, basically that they are not responsible for the content. Oh, one um, of these. Huh? One of these. Yeah, one of these. One of these, the publisher shouldn't be responsible for the content right. of the network. This I don't is know the if this directly ties into the conversation. No, it does because that's exactly the same legal excuse that Kazaa, Napster, and right. LimeWire, and, and even BitTorrent clients use. Right. It's not our fault that you're doing illegal stuff on our network. We just made the network. You guys do what you want. And there's actually a provision in the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, the DMCA, about common carriers. And they are granted immunity from copyright claims as long as they publish a notice stating that and that they also comply with requests to remove offending content from or an illegal content from their network. So it was a great, oh, it was a great anecdote, David. Thank Don't you. shoot the messenger. <laughs> right. Even though we are also shooting messengers. Um, so I think that's all that we want to talk about and net neutrality, but this is a great segue into the dark web because a great way to get around net neutrality restrictions and packet shaping and protocol sniffing is by using something called a virtual private network or a VPN. Tyler, what is a VPN? A virtual private network. You just said it. <laughs> You're giving me Thank that you. look like there's a test that you didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, crap, there was a quiz today? <laughs> Come on, uh, man. You said no tests on Sunday. Okay. Uh, what you, a virtual private network does what? Uh, it gives you a connection, usually remotely, into a network. How how does it how does it do that? I don't know stuff. You have to play Christian today because he's I'm not, not here. Christian. I wait, can't... let's ask. Hold on, wait, wait. Let's ask Christian. Wow, thanks a lot. Okay, beautiful insight. He said a bunch of acronyms. Yeah, and then yelled at me about getting into politics. <laughs> I miss you, buddy. Um, we miss you. He's sick. <laughs> and, and, good. and his parents listened to his, to the show. He oh. mentioned that last week. Hi, 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 Christian's mom, Christian's dad. I think my, my parents are listening to, to the, the show. Fans. Yeah, it's a bunch of, yeah, anyway. My mom doesn't listen. No? I'm, I'm glad she doesn't. <laughs> well, you can tell her that if she's not around from one to two on Sundays, that she can download us on iTunes if she goes to pullrequest.net slash podcast. Anyway. Then I got to teach her to use iTunes. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, join us next season for now. Um, so the virtual private network is a point-to-point communication. Rather, from your computer to a, a remote server that you tunnel through. And when I say tunneling, I mean that you create a connection to that server, which creates a connection to another server, obfuscating your IP address over an encrypted transport layer, much like SSL, but the, both, the, both uh, your computer and the VPN server have private keys and public keys, and you do that encryption kind of handshake, like when you SSH into a server without using your password, like one of those. You see how much energy that took? 
I'm so glad I let you explain it. Why, thanks. That's why I have the host mic. <laughs> <laughs> you're standing. You're ready to go, man. I know. And I also didn't smoke before the shit. Oh. Um, <laughs> I haven't been drinking caffeine this week. Oh, oh, right. No, also, you also don't. You, you do not. I survive on caffeine. Yeah. I even had a cup of coffee today. You got you you. I salute that. I only met. drink tea in general. Coffee doesn't work with me, but I've had to quit the tea this week. So wow, it's hard as a developer. It's a lot. Yeah, like I said, I I live on. Co- How much coffee do you drink, David? I'm currently having some caffeine right now. You are. You're drinking the uh, diet coke. Yeah. Did you ever drink that coke black? I don't know what that is. That was diet coke mixed with coffee. That sounds it awful. Was a real drink. Really? A real drink Gross. in a glass bottle made by Coca-Cola. Also many fake real drinks that I made as a college student and uh, took much enamel off my teeth. Anyway, um, so a virtual private network allows you to connect to a remote server by tunneling through another server. So if you want to go to childporn.com, and that's illegal where you live. Real site. Which you don't. Right. Hopefully illegal. <laughs> Thank you, David. You David's, done, David's done the research for this. Um, if you want to go to childporn.com and you know that if I go to it from my computer, uh, the police are going to come knocking because all of that is tracked, uh, you can tunnel through a server in another country, which then can also, can it, it can A, just go right to the site that you want, or B, it can tunnel through yet another server in another country and do it over and over and over again. And with all of the respective laws in the respective countries, it will be practically not technically but practically impossible to track you and to track where you're going and to see the information that's coming back because it is encrypted like um the skin of an onion and that's why the most popular dark web browser is called the onion router or tor and uh david do you have anything to add about tor uh tor is a fantastic invention uh thank you fbi for creating it it's the navy uh oh navy my bad um Good thing you want to try to take it away from us too. Um, well, I mean, they'll still be able to have it, much like encryption. The, you know, the crooks will be right. able to use it, and uh, the cool. government will be able to use it. But the people like us, who every six weeks get another email saying your account information has been stolen, your identity has been compromised, so we're giving you one year's worth of identity. It's not going to help us. They're going to say ISIS uses encryption, so we can't. So then all of our stuff gets stolen. And then you know the bad guys can continue doing it. I don't. Uh, I don't know. Seems like an obvious slippery slope, but here we are. Here we are, and it's only, honestly, I don't, I, I'm not even going to say it's because of the new guy in charge. I think it's just been a, it's been a multi-decade kind of thing that the government has been trying. I mean, people have been talking about backdoors in Windows 95. You heard about that 20 years ago? Mm, no. Like how to log in without a password? Well, that was easy. You just hit cancel. Beautiful Windows 95 security. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It says enter your Windows password, and then you it says okay and cancel. You hit right. cancel right to the desktop. <laughs> it's, and, like, it's like the old Ford trucks where uh, they get like five years old, and you just turn the ignition thing without the key being in there. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my key. Do you have a flathead screwdriver? Okay. It's, no, the door handle's got a password on it, so you just remember your number code. You get in, you just turn the ah, ignition awesome. key. Well, now you my can now. Used to have a truck like that. With modern key fobs, you could just keep it in your pocket, and the door unlocks, and then and you can just, it'll start. Yeah, I you don't even have, need a key. shouldn't have to do that stuff. No, and then the government can disable your car also remotely. That's another story. This is how you can tell we live in New York City and don't drive, because you just explained, I think, technology that modern yeah. consumers have had for a few years now. Yeah. <laughs> Only 20 years. All the eight-year-old kids are like, duh. <laughs> duh. When my, whenever my mom's too drunk, she lets me drive. <laughs> okay, Tor is free software, though. 
Sorry, I'm not trying, trying not to pop on the mic. Tor is free software enabling anonymous communication. So, and remember, governments and people want to take away the ability to anonymously communicate. It's basically the glory hole of the internet. Yes, the government wants to take it away, like I said, to track you, and people want to do it to police what you say. So, um, the name is derived from an acronym of the original software project name called the Onion Router. Now, the Onion Router and the original Tor project was very complex to set up. It was, it, it was, I mean, you had to follow a tutorial. You had to basically, A, run Unix or Linux, and then you had to follow a tutorial and do all of this complex, like, packet routing yourself. How long ago was that? In before 2011? Yeah. 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 And we were trying to play around with it. And yeah. Successfully got it to work. I remember, and, and what happened was they eventually made a, um, they made an app that did all of the network config for you. And then you had to marry that to some browser like Firefox that you downloaded. But then, finally, a couple Ta-da. years ago, they came out with Tor Browser, which is a modified forked version of Firefox slash uh, Gecko, as long as they're still using Gecko, and um, married with the Tor networking client and it's in one app that's available for windows mac os and unix unix and uh that is it makes surfing the dark web almost too easy <laughs> because all you have to do is launch it like any other web browser and you get like a dial-up modem prompt as it connects to the vpn that's many countries away uh and then you get a very very slow but quite functional uh internet connection it's improved quite a lot it is it, it varies a lot based on the exit node that is true uh so and the and the number of hops that it makes if you're running slow on tour just try again exactly exactly because you could end up literally anywhere else which is quite amazing um okay and let's quick bit about the history of tour the alpha version of tour developed by the u.s naval research laboratory and mathematician Paul Syverson, computer science mi- computer scientists Michael G. Reed and David Goldschlag, who also is known for Goldschlager. No, um, great man. Yeah, but the the onion router and the cough syrup, uh, with the purpose of protecting U.S. intelligence communications online. Onion routing was further developed by DARPA in 1990s. I didn't realize DARPA actually still exists. That's it. Uh, the Alpha version of Tor, developed by Cyberson, a computer scientist we just talked about, uh, and then called the Onion Routing Project, blah, 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 was launched on the 20th September 2002. So it is a 21st century invention. The first public release occurred later that year. Um, that's really, I mean, that's, I think that's basically it. Honestly, we just, we highlighted the whole thing. They made this networking suite that is a complex series of VPN connections, and they married it to a, an open source web browser, which... I wonder if they'll switch out with WebKit. There might be a reason why they haven't, and they're still in Firefox. I don't know. I don't know. You think um, it's because uh, Mozilla offers better privacy in their browser, even though Chromium is open source? It's That's true. Uh, I do not know. I don't know how I much... I bet maybe. someone did it one time. It was like, I'm done. Hey, yeah. It's finished. <laughs> it's a Firefox. It happened to be it. Don't blow on it. It'll, it'll mess yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> there might have been like a Chrome bug that like stopped him halfway through. Maybe he just used Firefox like some weird people like Eric do. I don't... <laughs> hey, I I'm actually... No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Hey, I actually haven't used Firefox for, for making websites in two years. Wow. I've switched, I've switched to Chrome and Chrome Canary, and I develop in Canary. And then, uh, which also sometimes has really awful what bugs. What is Canary? It's the beta channel of Chrome. But I need to have two separate apps so I can have the... Because you can't surf and develop on the same app, uh, even if you use the incognitous windows. 
So you can't just download a user agent switch or something. No, 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 you can, but it messes with sessions and local storage and okay. cookies and internal stuff. It's better if the thing that you're developing on is just separated. Okay. And um and I know that that incognitus windows, incognito windows. Incognitus. Uh <laughs> yeah. Uh was uh, incognito windows uh have some kind of sandbox. It's not the same. Use another app. And typically that's what I had done even in my later Firefox days I had surfed in Chrome and then made developed in Firefox and then always said that Firefox rendered the best but then never used it. So now I just use Chrome. Sorry, now I just use Chrome like most developers, but I've Gecko renders the best. I stand by that. WebKit does not render a, a 100% like it should and uh Opera they keep trying. They're, they're fine. They try. They're they're like uh the Rand Paul of web browsers. They keep trying and they're just not getting anywhere. I, I agree with what you say about Firefox, but I don't think that it always manifests in the best web page. It definitely puts its own unique twist on it. And when I'm just building stuff and like using raw HTMLs and like writing raw or writing raw HTML, it, it looks the best by far. Their built in inputs and stuff look great, but um, it's their own little style tweak that shows up on every website and that ends up combining with the popular. Uh, frameworks that were largely developed on Chrome. Because they're made by Google. Mm -hmm. When Google makes a JavaScript framework and a or UI Twitter. framework and a web browser and an internet service provider and an internet tracking service and an internet advertising service, that is a vertically integrated internet experience. You no. could actually, Google's made their own internet. Hooli. <laughs> <laughs> Hooli uh, everything. Okay. <laughs> That means two things. Um, okay, so you can use the you can use the Tor browser to access two things. You can access domain names that do exist on the public internet. That also uh, ClearNet. The 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 public the regular internet's called ClearNet. Yeah. yeah. Why not LightNet? Because I don't know. Dark and light. Can we call it CisNet? Like cisgender. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a line. It was no, never mind. Um, it's a dangerous line. Yeah, to try to yeah, come yeah. Up with. Already uh, off to a great start. Um, <laughs> it's a house of cards we're building. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so it's called the clear net because you can be seen. Maybe that's why. Is your normal dot com. Even though you can be seen with light and the light net and the darkness. We don't trust you. These things. <sighs> Whatever. Anyway, uh, you can tell they're open source projects because they suck at marketing and branding anyway. Um, so when you're on your regular internet, you can go to those websites off of the darknet, or off of Tor, the Onion Router browser, uh, but it'll look like you're coming from another country. So like if you go to YouTube.com, we'll actually give you ads in Russian, or whatever you end up. That sounds really fun. Yeah, and uh, it'll, it really will look like, and if you go to websites that track your IP, that will show you what your IP address is, it will tell you what country you are, and that will not be, sometimes it is, but cool. most oftentimes it's not the United States. I never browse tour uh, on normal. Sites. You even looked at browse. a child porn on online tele? <laughs> I mean, come on, no. everyone's doing it now. Come I think on. too because a lot of these nodes are being used by a lot of people. Anytime you go to Google, it always makes you enter. Why would you go to Google on the Tor browser rather than going to uh, like DuckDuckGo or some search engine that doesn't? I don't know why I have. Oh. What if you go to DuckDuckGo on Tor? <laughs> no, you can't. That's what I'm saying. Why would you go to Google, a, a service that really tries to track you every way that's possible, versus a service that provi that promises that they don't? It's just quicker to be like Reddit, Onion URLs. Oh, going to DuckDuckGo. You know, it's interesting if you're accessing Reddit 
through Tor, why is that on Reddit? How do you mean? Like, if there's such bad content that you don't that you want to obfuscate the fact that you're looking at it, but yeah. it's on Reddit, why is it on there? So most why, Tor why, resources. There's a 4chan section of Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, exactly. No, but no. Most but, Tor resources uh, are 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 on Reddit. What do you mean resources? So uh, if you want to get to the dark market, if you want to find the hidden wiki, if you want these URLs essentially. Oh, right. Communities and around this. And that's the second type of URL. The yeah, URL sorry, that you ahead. can't access on the ClearNet, which are URLs that are very long and have non-standard domain names. But when you, but when you, if, you copy, if you copy and paste it, it will actually take you to a website that is somewhere. Could be in the, it could be in the ground. It could be on a mountaintop. It could be anywhere in the world, and you can't get to it on the clear web, on the regular internet, uh, uh, because it, it requires that kind of sophisticated networking that Tor provides. Um, so you, the, you mentioned a couple things. There's, you said there's the dark market. Is that actually what it's called? Uh, well, that's the general name. There are multiple markets. Multiple uh, markets. Ever since Silk Road Silk went Road. down, Silk Road would be the most popular one. And then it came back up, totally not a honeypot. Yeah, that one was not scammy at all. Yes, here's a public service announcement. If you ever see one of these sites go away and then it comes back, it's probably compromised by the government of the country it's in. This is also true for specific vendors on site on these sites as well. So it's important that everybody do their own research and keep track of what's going on so you don't accidentally buy something illegal from someone who works for the government. Correct. Um, okay, so there are multiple dark markets. Silk Road, as you mentioned, was the the biggest before it was raided. They were raided by the FBI. Yes. Yes. I think biggest and only at the time. Okay, and then you could get. I mean, there were reports you could get people off of the Silk Road. Yeah, it wasn't what you could get. It was a monopoly they had. <laughs> no, and, and it was what you could. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. It was okay. awful, awful. Um, okay. Really, the, these services exist to sell drugs and maybe some malicious software, uh, counterfeit money. Arms, people, things like that. Those are those are yeah mostly scammy. Anything you can't buy or sell legally, like a Taiwanese child in a box, mm -hmm. you can get that on Silk Road. Potentially. Well, I guess not anymore because if you see that on Silk Road, it is again probably a honeypot <laughs> by the FBI. Uh, Don't go, David. You also mentioned the real wiki. Is that the term you use? Hidden, uh, hidden, hidden wiki. Hidden wiki. Yes. What is the hidden wiki? Hidden wiki is it's just a resource, uh, a conglomerate of of various dark net. Uh, Tor-based onion links. So, if you want financial services, if you want uh, places to upload things, private emails, if you want access to various dark markets, uh, those are all on the hidden wiki. There was for a little while the uncensored hidden wiki that includes one extra section that uh, I think we've joked about plenty. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. Um, We're making good strides to attack that terrible, terrible sector. Yes. yes, but do we want to? Is that really something that the government should be wasting their time on? Of course, it's awful. I will say, unless you're directly looking for it, you will never, even just browsing through the darkest corners of the dark web, you will not come across that stuff unless you're intentionally seeking it out. Well, that's good. That's good. How do you, when you go to something, you go to Hidden Wiki or you go find some of these nefarious products online, how do you pay for them? Do you that use... Your credit card with David Shreve on yes, it. Here's four four three zero. No, um, I actually have memorized my credit card number. I won't tell you on over the radio. It's uh, I, I'll just I'll, it's you know four four three zero four zero 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 one two two four three four nine eight. And your expiration date is January of twenty nineteen. And your CCV is nine two three. 
Find out if that's the real number or if I just randomly pick numbers off the top of my Sounds head. Sounds like you said... Find out on Amazon.com. No, I didn't. <laughs> ordering whatever you I'll, please. I'll tell you this. As somebody that's worked in e-commerce, I'll tell you 4430-4000 is a, is a Visa card. Good job. Thank you. Anyway. Do you want a cookie? More encyclopedic knowledge that gets me nowhere. Do you want a browser cookie? Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so how do you pay for this stuff? So paying for stuff is primarily, well, pretty much exclusively through Bitcoin. Um, and there's various levels of protection in there to to form authentication. So really, Bitcoin. Yes, that's the biggest. Mar that's the biggest. Uh, probably the best use for it too. Yes, because uh, didn't um, New York State passed something about cyber currency that did not include Bitcoin? Correct. What was that currency called? Well, they did. Um, oh wait. Sorry, what are you talking about? It, it, its own currency? Didn't that you sh no, 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 no. You oh, showed me something. Yeah. Well, no, this was uh, basically New York State trying to regulate uh, digital currencies that are not tied to nations. Uh, and in order to do so, you have to, if you're a Bitcoin provider, you have to buy a certificate that says you can operate in the state of New York. And these things were prohibitively expensive. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But based on Bitcoin, that can make, that could be like five Bitcoin based on whatever day it is. That is very true. Or it could be 5 million Bitcoin based on the day it is. It has leveled out. H have you been able to pay rent with Bitcoin yet? My landlord only accepts check. <laughs> so. Does Venmo use Bitcoin? Can you, can you plug that in? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Okay. How, do, you have, do you have Bitcoin, Tyler? No, I want some Bitcoin. Oh. There, it is like a roller coaster, that price. Uh, I missed out on it. In, I, I heard about it for the first time, I think, in 2011. And uh, I didn't have a good computer then. And people were talking about this brand new currency that if you had a fast computer, uh, you could run this program that generated money. Uh, but it required a fast computer. And because I'm not a gamer, I was never interested in having the fastest computer. And because I didn't have any money, I couldn't buy the fastest computer. So I just kind of sat on it. And now one Bitcoin is, what, $900? Yep, about that. When I, five years ago, it was like $0.09. Cents. I could have paid off my student loans if I could somehow have that Bitcoin money and then get it out of Bitcoin into real money, U.S. dollars, which also is almost as fake as Bitcoin because it has the same thing backing it, which is nothing. <clears throat> Actually, I'm sorry. I know you want to say something. That's Bitcoin okay. has an artificially constrained supply. So in fact, uh, the, it actually might be worth more than the dollar because we can just print money. They can't just arbitrarily create Bitcoin. They can only sh fractionalize Bitcoin, which then kind of, well, I guess that's what dollars do, right? There, yeah, there it, is a problem that could be creeping its head around the corner very soon is in it, that most Bitcoin miners, due to the the uh, the cheap cost of electricity, because you have to have high processing computers, right? Uh, they're primarily based out of China, and China is considering doing a an audit on all bitcoins uh, to figure out if it's being used to move a lot of money out of China to other countries. Which it probably is. Which it might be. Studies but, have suggested both. You know, there's also a war on cash, generally, and we should look at both of these at the same time, because I have heard this same, this same news story in American news, in British news, and Australian news, like I actually listened to the three of them, but I've still heard the same story, which is, when was the last time you used a 50? When was the last time you used a 50? I only get my money from ATMs. Exactly. When was the last time you used a 50? When I got one from my grandma. Exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't you believe that most people who use $50 bills commit nefarious activities? 
So if we removed the $50 bill or tracked people by their usage, more often than not, it would lead to a criminal. Wow. Yeah. And that's why the $500 bill doesn't exist. That's why the $1,000 bill doesn't exist, because when you have a million dollars in a $1,000 bills, it's like, not a lot, not too big, physical space. Uh, I don't know how much difference that makes now, where everything is just spreadsheets. Your bank account is an Excel sheet, basically. So, just numbers. Um, okay, so we talked about cryptocurrency, we talked about buying things, illegal things online, using that type of currency. Yeah. Um, have you bought Bitcoin, have you, do you mine Bitcoin? I have never mined a Bitcoin. How do you buy it? Off of an exchange? Yeah, I can very quickly say how to go from get Bitcoin to get product. How do you do it? Okay. So you can always... Closer to the mic, please. Okay, my bad. Uh, the primary way, let's say you can use a main popular service, completely legal and used for a lot of different reasons. Coinbase being the most popular. From there, you buy Bitcoin either by a bank transfer, you can use PayPal uh, or a debit card. At some sort of fee. <laughs> a debit card. <laughs> so, so you link your debit card to the Bitcoin exchange yes. or your bank account. And then when the government calls and well, they say, and they trace it back to the exchange and they say, who's this guy? And then they say, oh, we have David Shreve's bank account. So here's what you do to prevent connecting what you're buying, do you the physical product you create. Get. a false person like in Shawshank? No, what oh. you do, there's a great little program called Electrium. There are other ones out there. They are Bitcoin wallets that sit only on the physical hardware that you have. So you transfer your Coinbase Bitcoin to your Electrium wallet. And then you could do it again to another Electrium wallet that you've created. And then you can transfer it to the person who has what you want. And how many hours, days, weeks, months, years does that take? Uh, it has gotten much faster these days. What's a ballpark figure? Uh, most of this, if you're going to do it twice, uh, about three hours. Oh, that's pretty good. It's not bad. That beats PayPal. It's, yeah. It's you can't bad. get money from your bank account into PayPal that quickly. Or, or vice versa. So all these transfers have to be uh, approved. Do they have service fees? They do. And you can pay in more service fees for a faster transfer. Oh. Is it a percentage or is it a flat? Percentage. Percentage. Okay. Uh, is it, but I mean, that's just part of doing business. Yep. And. Yep. Has it ever happened where Bitcoin has fluctuated so wildly between when you try to pay for something and when you actually yes. pay for something? Yes? Yes. Oh, my God. Is that It's like trying to bid on an eBay auction at the last minute, isn't it? Very much so. Okay. So there's something called the blockchain. It's a website that keeps track. It's basically your receipt. That's what you send to your seller. That's how they know that that's what you paid for. And it shows... Well, we, hold on. Blockchains also are unique to each person yes. and each transaction, I believe? Correct. So first, it's all tracked. Any type of activity you have with Bitcoin is tracked. Yes. And there, I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still not seeing the way that they could easily just lead back to you. <laughs> I guess, I, I mean, it'd be great. <laughs> it'd be great if Christian Game over. Or somebody that could actually talk a bit more about it. I just know I mean, I know it's all, I know it's all encrypted, but yes. it's also decryptable. That's how the economy is working. Yes. The Bitcoin economy, I mean. I just know that if you move it between multiple wallets, it creates enough level of distance to make it virtually impossible to track. Oh. Okay, so then. the forensic experts that are not myself. Well, okay. Uh, maybe we can have them on, too, next time. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
Okay, so... Uh, then you get to the part of communicating with your buyer. Okay, right. So first, yes. you've tried to pay for something that the value of Bitcoin has decreased before you were able to actually, before the transaction went through. You, have uh, a, you set a blockchain. By the time that you send through the blockchain, let's say you got your amount and it comes out to the amount that the buyer wants, that's good enough. As long as the blockchain receipt reflects that um, conversion rate at that time. That's all that really matters. Interesting. Yes. Is there like a kind of a, like a slack time just in case, you know? I've like, never run into issues with, um, hypothetically, with buyers who are too particular. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's cool. Again, I must preface I have never bought anything from the dark web. So that's getting products from the dark web. Um, let's take a break, and then we'll talk about getting software illegally, too. Uh, I don't even know what I was supposed to play for the break. Tyler, what am I supposed to play for the, for this break? Uh, my Google Drive app went down, so <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let's try this. A spoof? Yes, that's right. All right. Say, kids, do you want to be a Russian hacker? Just like Vladimir Putin? Well, now you can simulate, simulate your own Russian cyber activity right from the comfort of your own home. Just go to pullrequest.net slash ipspoof, that's pullrequest.net slash ipspoof, and you'll be able to download a utility that allows you to send a packet that looks like it came from anywhere, including the Kremlin. It allows you to say, this looks like Russian cyber activity has occurred on my server, much like the US government. So just go to pullrequest.net slash ipspoof for more. Anyway, thank you. Back to uh, thanks, Eric. No problem. Back to back to the dark web. Uh, <laughs> um, software, I illegally acquiring uh, illegally acquiring software, something that's been going on for at least thirty years, possibly longer. Um, also, overcharging for software is something that's been going on for at least thirty years, possibly. Oh longer. yes, and seems like a cough, Adobe cough. Oh, but <sighs> excuse me, overcharging for software built the greatest technology empire the world has ever seen. Which was Microsoft. Whoa. Microsoft license Apple? No. They make great hardware, but they did not they did not create one of the most brilliant licensing agreements of all time with the biggest computer manufacturer of all time, stealing software from the best company of all time, which is Apple. But um yeah. <laughs> the best company of all time. Apple's the best company of all time. Uh, I'm sorry, Coke and McDonald's, but um, Yeah, you need to have like a company award ceremony. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Um no, but but uh, the, the the thing is, 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 is software was always based on the value that it provided, but software was also turning into a commodity product. When Windows and Mac OS came out in the 80s, that was a very high-end specialty item. But now, we wear computers, you know? Like, like, Christian has a watch that has, that's more powerful than my childhood computer was, you know? Yeah, I have a phone in my back pocket that is about as powerful as my college computer was. And to think, so that amount of technology and that all of that uh, technology requires things like operating systems means that you really can't get away with charging $500,000 for a license to, to Windows. And you have to do what Microsoft is doing now, which is commoditizing the product. They're giving it away. Windows 10 was free. And actually, it was worse than free because it messed up a lot of computers. So unwillingly. Really? Oh, I have a friend in Austin. He w had run Windows 7, and then he, like, did something for the weekend. He came back, 
and Windows 10 had started upgrading automatically and then had an error during installation. So it messed up his computer and it and his, he lost his data. Wow. Always back up your data. Yes, but also Windows is getting, my, and this is one reason why I don't use Windows, it's a little too aggressive with the auto updating. Oh, that was, it was really aggressive. I have a Windows 8 computer and I have old uh, recording software on it and I'm afraid to upgrade to Windows 10 because of that. Yeah. And if I well, I think Windows 10 is better now after they had the whole world complain that they shouldn't upgrade people's computers you without asking. Have known that. Yeah. And they wanted to be like Apple that actually has pretty close on Mac OS. They have a pretty simple upgrade in place uh, process for, for Mac OS. That works pretty well. It really um, helps in all your hardware is the same. Oh, yes. Well, yes. And I mentioned that on the very first pull request, actually, that the, one of the biggest reasons why Mac OS is more stable, quote, and secure, quote, is because they control the whole hardware stack. And that is something that Microsoft is getting into. Also, because the same business model, Apple, most of their money comes from hardware, and they can commoditize the software. That's what Microsoft is doing. That's why they're making more devices, like the Surface Pro that's not for left-handers like me. <laughs> um, that The margins on that will be much higher than they will be on Windows. Which creates another problem about trying to impose intangible value on intangible products when it, when your product that you work on is being commoditized by the company that created it. It's that's another story, and that's something I'll get into with Christian, who will tell me that no, this is nobody cares about graphics. That's why, because uh, everything's commoditized anyway. Um, Thirty years ago, there was something called shareware. Twenty years ago, there was something called shareware. Do you remember what that is? We only got ten minutes left. We nope. have to talk a little quicker. No. Do you remember what shareware is? It was not quite freeware. Not quite freeware. I still had to pirate it. Still had to pirate it. How do you pirate floppy disks? Oh, this is well, well before my time. Oh, yes. <laughs> I had My first computer was, a, was the second Macintosh, the Mac 512K. It had no hard drive, and we had a fancy extra floppy disk drive. So you could boot the computer and then also run a program. And um, it, But really, at the time, most programs also came with a bootable version of Mac OS. On a 400K floppy, that is pretty good. Uh, but these programs, when you run them, they'll say, hey, we're just some people in California writing code. Why don't you send us $10, please? And because there's no way for them to really talk to you, you can say no. And you could just say, okay. And then the next time you open it, they'll say, hey, we're just some developers in California. Why don't you send us some money? You can just keep doing that. That's shareware. Because oh the idea is that if you, you know, you, 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 they've given you something and they don't want... They know that people, if they have to pay for it, probably won't use the product, but they still need to make money from it, so they ask you nicely, much like people on the train. And how well does that work out? <laughs> Works for the guy selling rap CDs in the street, I guess. What about that woman that like hands out the tissues and then takes them back? Yeah, I needed those tissues one time. It was a Did good you, deal. You have to pay for them. Okay. Cool. Why the term Shara has gone away? Because uh, we, we we lived. Maybe back then it was a little more utopian. It was like, more the computer. It was more communal, man. It was the nineties, man. The eighties and the nineties. Anyway, uh, now we have something similar. We have Nagware, like Sublime. Sublime is 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 very much the same premise of old shareware, where I'm saying where a lot, where it's free. Uh, but most times when you hit save, it'll say, "Hey, we're just some developers around the world. Why don't you send us some money?" and Literally everybody I know, and I'm using literally properly, hits cancel. I have not met one person who has paid for Sublime Text. No, you don't have to hit cancel. You can press escape. 
<laughs> Thank gotcha you, there. I actually uh, thought about no, paying but I for mean, it. One day, one day I'd like to send them money because I, I love that program. I was almost going to send the money, and then Christian stopped me. He's like, why? Just keep hitting cancel. I'm like, you're right. You know for, what? For our viewers, <laughs> that's not me. Isn't it a lot? Is, that's like 70 bucks. I'm sorry. Sublime text, yes. uh, since you're not a developer, but you really, you really could, you have the brain for it, David, given how much you love semantics. Um, <laughs> it's a text editor that is really fast and works really well. Um, and is open source. Okay. And is, is Nagware. Um, and a lot of it is very popular with developers. And uh, even though many developers also like changing whatever text editor they use every few months because there's a new copy of basically this program that comes out with a slightly different user interface. Anyway, it's a, it's a good one. Um, and it seems to be really fast and can handle a lot of open files and has a bunch of cool features. And it's completely free. But there are programs that are not completely free that you still kind of want, like Microsoft Word. And, micro, and, and and Windows. Windows 95 used to have this, uh, and I say this because Windows 95 also has a special place in my heart as a kid in the 90s. And um, it, it, it had a CD key, so you couldn't just install it. But if you just typed in all ones, it would work. Just like hitting cancel when it asked for your password. This awesome. is the brilliant DRM that Microsoft had and security that they had in the 90s. Uh, with the advent of Windows XP, they introduced something called activation. So Windows 90, before XP, it was 95, 98, and ME, that still used this kind of CD key, easily right. fudgeable way of, and so did... YTMND. Yes, and so did, uh, uh, so did their second biggest software suite, Office. Microsoft's Empire was built off of two programs, Windows and the, well, the Office Suite was multiple programs, but like Word and Excel, there used to be a program called Multiplan, which was then Excel. Anyway, and Outlook, Google PowerPoint. Drive killed the Office. Well, they're, they're going to, but Office was a program that was $500 a seat, did have a CD key, and everybody did pirate it in the late 90s, including me. Uh, they and had a $100 version. It was probably... It was 100 Oh, oh sorry. Don't you want the, the premium? No. $100 Office probably still. felt like 500 to us back in the 90s. Absolutely. In my $100 or a million dollars makes no difference to a 10-year-old. Yeah, it was like, oh, the computer is 600 but shit, I got to buy Windows. I got to buy Word, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, then they, so they had CD keys. Then they introduced activation. And uh, this way, if you managed to pirate and you generated your own CD key, which was the best way of, of, of getting around software piracy around the turn of the century, uh, then it had to call and had to phone home. And it had to, or as they say in Pennsylvania, phone home. And uh, what is it? They had to, it tried to authenticate your copy and verify your copy of Windows with Microsoft Server. Now, that was also something easily fudgeable, much like the pre-9-11 airport security questions. <laughs> when you called Microsoft Activation, all you had to say was, this is the first computer I'm installing this copy of Windows on. Yep. Is it, and then they'll say, is it installed anywhere else? You can say, no. Thank you very much. Your activation key is... That's the whole... That beats that. So then they introduced... In two th with Windows XP Service Pack 2, they introduced something called Windows Genuine Advantage, which is... Yet, that is a... Like, that is a... That's like th a the three different types of condoms that is, are being used with someone who also takes birth control. Like, there is way too many different levels of, of unnecessary redundancy... Protection. He actually, I shouldn't call all of those unnecessary. Just a couple. I of mean, more. three condoms would be and birth control on the flip right. side is a it's a little much. But that friction would just create a exactly. Error. After you've entered your CD key, after you've activated it, then it has to validate. 
And that's Windows Genuine Advantage. And that is something that will keep nagging you, but will still allow you to keep using Windows if it doesn't work. It will just blank out your desktop and complain. You got to wonder if they screwed themselves out of profits by missing the optimal margin of how many they could have sold versus how much they could have charged. I exactly. Mean, they and, and basically created a culture of piracy because it's like, screw you. You've sold 100 million copies of, of Microsoft Word. I'm not going to pay $100 for it. Like, that code's written. Stop trying to charge me $100 for it. Charge me 40 now. Well, I mean, that is, but their extreme monetization off of one person's code is exactly what a technology company should do. And I think it's their right. But that's why nowadays they've lowered the prices on almost everything because they've realized exactly what you said. There's a certain elasticity to the amount of DRM that you can impose on a piece of program, uh, on a piece, sorry, on a piece of code before it starts impeding people's use of it. Yeah. And I think I think people are outside. Is that what it sounds like? I think because we have the wonderful uh, Sasha, probably I think I can hear her outside. She's coming in after us in a couple minutes. What is love? probably has some great guests coming into the studio. David, you were one of those guests one time. I was. You actually could, you know everybody who does shows on Sunday. You could sit here from like noon until five, contributing different bits to different shows. I think there's a lot of nepotism going on here. Oh. The station. I, no, I th you might just be one of those hub people, the social hubs. Like Tyler is a social hub. Um, anyway, there's a Malcolm Gladwell. Book. Anyway, we've got to yeah, we've got to wrap things up. Uh, we talked a lot about Windows. Mac OS had no had virtually no uh, security measures because you had to buy a Macintosh to get Mac OS, except on Mac OS Server, which required a CD key actually. Before they now turned it into an app that you have to buy in the App Store. Apple's closed system is they'll give you Mac OS, uh, but all of the extras you have to buy in the App Store, which uses certificates and encryption and real try they really tried to lock that down of course you can still use the dark web and things like BitTorrent and something that we don't have time to talk about that i really we really should have which was usenet uh what would that usenet existed really quickly it existed before the world wide web sounds and like a part two it yeah, is a part, part two, two and maybe we can have you back with christian and have the whole four of us here for a great episode uh next week anyway next week on power request next week on power request so anyway i think that brings us on that terrible disappointment, that brings us to an end. <laughs> so, Tyler, do you approve this week's pull request? I approve. Okay, David, do you approve this week's pull request? I am happy to approve. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you.